United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. I'm Julie Mason. Joining me now, Dr. Tegan Blaine is Senior Advisor on Environment and Conflict at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Prior to joining the Institute in 2020, she was Vice President on Climate Change Initiative at the National Geographic Society, here to discuss the intersection of environment and conflict. Dr. Blaine, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, it's great to have you. I was saying um, earlier that uh, climate and conflict used to be things we talked about separately, but now they have been conflated, conjoined. They have, and I think for good reasons. Yeah, tell us how uh, climate change affects conflict. You know, there are a few different ways that climate change is likely to affect conflict. It happens on both sides of the climate change continuum. On one side, we talk about what we can do to reduce climate change, which is often involved with reducing greenhouse gas emissions that come from the use of energy and changes in how we manage land. On the other side, we talk about how climate change is affecting people's lives through increased heat emergencies, through changes in rainfall, changes in temperature. Both sides can lead to climate to conflict for very, very, very different reasons. On the um, first side, oh, yeah, I was going to say on the first side, because I understand how, for example, a drought causes conflict. But on the other side, like on the first side, how do we get to conflict there? Very easily, you know. Already in the transition to a global green economy, we are beginning to see conflicts increase. All of the technologies that are required for a new green economy require different minerals and different resources than we have necessarily used in the past. And so many countries and many companies as individual companies are beginning to see that their demand for certain minerals is increasing. Mm. And a lot of those minerals are in places where the countries are already politically fragile, for example, places like the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo in Africa. And so if you think about the demand for these minerals increasing, so for example, by 2050, demand for minerals like cobalt and lithium could surge by 500%. And then you think about the countries where many of these minerals are located, we have to begin thinking about the conflicts that those can cause. Wow, that's so interesting. And so then on the other end, tell us um, how, how these things happen. And there, there's also short-term and long-term considerations, right, Dr. Blaine? Absolutely, absolutely. Climate change impacts things like heat emergencies, which we have seen play out already in the United States this year in devastating ways. But it also impacts things like ability to grow produce and access water and things like that. And many of those are driven by longer term changes that take a long time to play out. And so in many ways, climate change is already beginning to threaten people's water security, their food security, even what I call their health security when we come to things like heat emergencies. And so all of those are quite concerning. Um, 
you know, they threaten people's sense of stability. And mm-hmm. when you see that uh, crop um, productivity and access to water is dropping, sometimes it forces people into very difficult decisions to actually whether temporarily or permanently, abandon the place that they're living and go seek out better conditions elsewhere. This is something that human beings have been doing for thousands of years. But what's happening now is it's likely to increase stresses on cities and other societies that are receiving all of these immigrants who are coming in with personal issues and challenges already. I think it's so fascinating that the, these phenoms are converging on cities, you know, because I think when we picture it, it seems like an almost rural or remote issue. But no, as you write, convincingly, very, very prevalent pressure on cities. Yes, I, you know, there has not been nearly as much, much research on cities, and that concerns me. It, to me, it's a place that we really need to focus especially in the global South, when people are migrating, whether it's because they're looking for a short-term job or because they're looking to move over the long run, oftentimes they're going to what are considered peri-urban areas. They're on the outskirts of cities. They often don't have water supply. They don't have trash collection. People are building houses out of any materials that they can find. And so a lot of people coming into cities are cut off economically and socially Mm. from what's actually going on in the city. It creates a very challenging situation. And also people who have been in cities traditionally for a very long time can resent the the new people coming in. Many of these cities oftentimes don't have very strong governments to begin with and are already struggling to deal with the social and economic upheavals. And so this creates a situation where governments are struggling to deal with the incoming people. Those people are already dealing with being on the outside of cities, and it creates potentially a very challenging situation. I thought it was so fascinating that you note that uh, research from Mexico shows that while lack of economic opportunities figures large in migrants' explanations about why they migrate, it is personal exposure to violence that drives their actual decision to leave. Yes, and I think we are going to see more of this. You know, many immigrants do not necessarily mention climate change when they say that they're moving. What Mm -hmm. they mention is other challenges. Um, But increasingly, you know, we're seeing that people are ending up in cities because of challenges that are associated with climate change and finding themselves in unlivable situations. And so they're moving on to search for additional places and additional places where they can actually settle and have reasonable lives. Um, Violence is one of those drivers that's going to cause people to move on. And we are beginning to see this in places like Central America. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it in other areas of the world in the future. And one tiny example, uh, but an important one, you write, collaboration on responding to environmental risk can be a powerful unifier, and responding to climate change may be even more so. For example, an initiative to build urban green spaces in post-conflict Colombia has increased social cohesion in communities with significant percentages of displaced peoples. It can help. 
I hope so. And again, I think that this is an area where we have to do a lot more work. You know, there was a period when I was in Nepal during the Maoist rebellion, working on environment issues, and I cannot take credit for the majority of this work. But what we were seeing was that towns that had worked on environmental issues and had really built their decision-making power, built their communities, the sense of what they wanted to achieve and how they were going to achieve it, were able to better resist the Maoist incursion. And that, to me, gives um, hope that we can apply the same principles in many other environmental disciplines. You know, the United Nations Environment Program has done quite a bit of research on the impact of environment and conflict. And they have discovered that an enormous number of conflicts are due in the end to environmental challenges. And also, if those environmental challenges are not addressed as part of the peace process, those peace processes are more likely to fail. I do think we need to be taking these environmental issues more seriously and addressing them as part of larger peace processes. Really fascinating work. Dr. Tegan Blaine, Senior Advisor on Environmental and Conflict at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Blaine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.